it's probably really good if you're big enough to have a CRO and a COO and a CISO to have those three meeting on a regular basis because the risk side of the house comes in and says, hey, this is kind of risky. Information security says, yep, this is a known risk. There's exploits in the wild being used against companies our size, bigger than us, smaller than us in different parts of the world. This is real. And the CEO is saying, I don't think it's that big a risk. Mm. Thinking it's not a big risk isn't a good plan for the business. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Matthew Lang, former CISO at SECU, former CISO at 3D Systems, and former Chief Petty Officer in the U.S. Navy. Matthew and I are having a great conversation on the role of the CISO itself, what defines it, what shapes it, what it is, and even what it isn't. We talk about the role in terms of relationships with those around the CISO as well. It's a good conversation, so dive on in with us. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk about a really good topic I think we got. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. I think we got a great topic going here. You and I had some good conversation before the show, and I'm always worried when the conversation gets too good too early that we're going to not capture it for the show, but I think we got enough material here. I think it's going to be a good one. We're talking about the role of the CISO, and I know this is obvious. Like, this is a show for CISOs. Why have we never done a show on the role for the CISO? Not because it's obvious, because it's actually really, really nuanced and something a lot of us make a lot of assumptions about that you and I said, let's dig into this and get into something a little more concrete. Absolutely. We talked about better defining the role of the CISO. And the idea here is that many folks bear the title, but there's still a very mixed bag as to what that means and what the job actually entails. You'll talk to folks that are CISOs who are still very much hands-on keyboard. You'll talk to people who have almost no tech stack background and are very much just business people. So what's your 10-second take on what the role actually is? I like the idea of preventer. The CISO is a preventer of something bad happening at the organization. It can't prevent every breach. It's never going to happen. But if the CISO is involved, he can prevent possibly a merger or acquisition that is not in the best interest of the company if the acquiring company doesn't have good security posture or the one you're trying to gain control of, or they've had a breach. It's not just preventer of a cybersecurity incident. It's preventer of just some bad business decisions sometimes. And so I kind of like the idea of being a preventer of making a mistake. Okay. So this is the brakes on the car thing that we brought up before on the show, where sometimes the brakes are actually there to speed you around the corner, not to stop you. 100%. Preventer is not the same thing as slowing down the business. Absolutely. And I love that brakes analogy. I had a friend and a mentor, Andre Mintz, tell me the first time I ever heard that when he said the best security programs are brakes on a car. It's not to prevent the car from moving because the car is a business, has to move to make money. But it's to make that and enable that car to go as blistering fast as it needs to be, but not run into the wall. Exactly. To do it safely. I love it. I love it. So one of the techniques that I like to use when I'm defining a thing, and this is just sort of general philosophical stuff we're talking about here, is to start by defining what it is not. If we're going to draw a circle and say inside that circle is CISO, let's talk about what's outside of that circle. So I'm going to start with a few. Like I'm going to say CISO should not be a hands-on technician. If you are a hands-on technician still bearing a CISO title, the odds are you're not really a CISO. You're a director of InfoSec. That's my hot take on that one. Yep, I agree with that 100%. So I'm going to also say it's not even primarily a technologist role. Now, this is going to be 
really interesting because I grew up on the tech stack side of the house. Yeah, so did I. And became a CISO and had to learn to let a lot of that technological thinking go. And I will argue your best CISOs do come from technology backgrounds as opposed to the GRC camp, I think, finds it much harder to be a CISO because of the presence of the tech stack that they have to still supervise and manage. It can be. But I'm still going to say not a technologist role primarily. What's your take on that one? I think it depends on the business. Okay. If you're a technology company, then having technology background, you're going to be better suited for that CISO role. It really mm-hmm. depends on the business. But to your point, if it's finance or retail or manufacturing or something along those lines, you can be dead on right. They don't have to be a technology person. They need to understand the business. I love it. What are your thoughts here? And what other bullets do you have in terms of this outside of the CISO circle? What else is the CISO role not? So the first thing that comes to my mind is the CISO is not a BISO. You hear this BISO title all the time, Business Information Security Officer. That's not a CISO. That is somebody who reports to a CISO in a good organization. And usually in a very large organization, they'll have a BISO. But the CISO is the chief person in charge of information security for the organization. And to be the CISO, you have to have that skill set and the influential power or business acumen to be able to make change in the organization Mm -hmm. to enable that company to succeed. Doesn't matter what the company is, but if information security is not involved and not involved early, then they usually have an issue. Full agreement there, full stop. It's also not somebody who has no experience in information security. I have found that CISOs that came up through information security, it doesn't have to be 20 years, but they spent some amount of time, maybe even being a SOC analyst or something and coming up through the ranks. Those are some of the strongest CISOs that I've ever run across because they understand information security. Now, the hard part for them is grasping that business side of the house that you and I just spoke about a few minutes ago. If you can't let go of the no or you can't do this because it's too big a risk, then they don't succeed. So I've seen both extremes where they couldn't let go of, they were so risk averse, they just couldn't let go of any risk. They didn't succeed. Whereas somebody who can adjust and say, you know what? Yeah, this is risky, but the potential return on investment for the organization outweighs that risk. It's worth it. Even though I don't like it, I may hate it as the CISO, it's probably the best decision for the organization at this point in time. Yeah, and we've had that conversation on this show a few times now with a few guests. I've heard it on a couple of your podcasts. Come on. Yeah, there's that sense of compromise that must be there. And a pure play information security person who can't adapt to the business mindset is going to get themselves in trouble there for sure. So we've talked about roles that it's not. We've talked about technician. We've talked about the degree it should or shouldn't be technologist. You brought up BISO, which I think is a great one. And that's a nice segue. Let's talk about, again, with the circle inside is the word CISO and outside of that circle. Let's talk about the roles around CISO that help sort of shape and inform that that whole CISO role. In other words, not just what the CISO is not, but what should be an influencer, where, where there should be bridges to other roles. And I'm thinking like head of GRC, obviously a very critical interface into and out of that CISO circle. The technology folks on the team, the tech stack team, and then who else, the rest of the business, like who else should the CISO be interfacing with as we bridge in and out of that defined role? So it's a great question. So the GRC folks, sometimes they report into a CISO, depending on the organization. Yep. Certainly in financial, institution, which is the preponderance of my experience, a lot of the GRC folks and the DR folks, disaster recovery folks, 
they may report directly to the CISO or be part of the CISO's organization, which I think yep. works very well in large organizations. I don't know about small organizations because I think the DR side of the house struggles a lot in a small organization because most companies think we don't need to worry about that. We'll recover. We'll just spin up a new cloud presence. And I'm like, right. that's not a great way of planning for when a crisis hits and you don't mm-hmm. want to be planning in the middle of a crisis. So I do think those kind of areas fall into the CISO realm. But certainly liaisons or what I like to call security points of contact and other business uh-huh. areas, HR, legal, because if you're dealing with a, an incident, you don't know the full scope of it when you're dealing with it. You don't know how far reaching it's going to be, how big or how small it's going to be in the early stages. So you definitely have to have those relationships and those mm-hmm. people that you can call at 2 a.m. and say, we have an oh crap moment. You need to have those people, take them to lunch, buy them coffee, whatever it is they like, build that relationship with them. But the other area that I don't hear a lot is like the COO of a company. If your company's large enough to have a chief operating officer, the CISO and the COO should be the best of friends because they rely on each other more than they realize. And I saw a statistic it was either on LinkedIn or CyberWire News about 40% of executive leadership are worried about a cyber incident at their organization. And it didn't uh-huh. say 40% of CISOs or CEOs. It said executive leadership across the board. Right. And I thought that is a great metric for a CISO to bring to the table and say, look, there's 10 of you in here. Four of you are concerned about cyber. At the very least, four of you. Maybe all mm-hmm. 10 of you are at this organization. So why am I not being told that we're thinking about acquiring this company or we're about to roll out a new product or we're looking at a new piece of software? I need to be involved with that because I'm the brakes. I'm going to prevent something bad from happening. I can't prevent it if I don't know about it. Yeah. Okay. COO, that's a valuable one. I don't know that gets talked about much in our circles at all, really. And I'm with you. I was going to say the number one person you hear is the CIO because a lot of CISOs still report to a CIO. I don't think that's a good thing. I think it is a conflict of interest. And there are a lot of CIOs that are out here probably hearing this saying, oh, that's a bunch of crap. I'm going to do whatever the CISO tells me. And then it comes right back to what depends on the CISO. Because if it's that CISO who can't live with any risk, you're going to argue with them and say, no, we can live with this. I want this system up, even though it's not secure. We need to service our customers. We need to help our members, whatever the scenario is. And uptime and vulnerability management as two possible to-dos on the server teams list, for example. A hundred percent. They're not necessarily in congruence there. You may have a direct conflict between those two, and you may have a budget conflict between those two. Yeah. And you may even have, oh dear, we've got to upgrade all these old servers over here, and it's either that or spend the time patching the ones that we know are vulnerable or upgrading the ones we know are about to crash because they're old and the drives are starting to fail. There's a million and one (laughs) places where the CIO and the CISO have different interests. That's always going to happen. Absolutely. And the one that gets me is all my friends that are CIO slash CISO. And I'm like, wow, do you just yourself in the mirror all day? How does that work? (laughs) In a small organization where they don't really need a CISO, they probably have just a director of security. Then the the CIO isn't really the CISO at that point. He's wearing that hat, so to speak, 
maybe for a bump in pay, maybe for additional bonus or something until they grow to a point where they want to see so. And then they're right. going to split it off. It just depends. There's a lot of politics, I think, at that level where the CIO is the CISO as well. I just... I do see that as a potential problem as the company grows. But if it's a small sure. enough company, then hey, let the guy wear two hats. If he's willing to put up with that right. level of stress, more power to him or her. There you go. So how about the leadership role? You hinted at that it's CIO and COO are two models. When we talk about defining the role of the CISO, who you report into isn't necessarily defining the role in its own right, but those interactions and what those interactions look like certainly shape the role. So if I'm reporting into a CIO, for example, I think we just discussed that there's going to be these moments where we're having risk conversations where we're on very different sides of the fence. What does that conversation look like between the CISO and the COO, that other example you gave? What are some of the dialogues? What are some of the influencing factors that are actually shaping who and what the CISO is based on these COO-level conversations? That is a great question. The biggest thing is when the CISO and the COO are talking, they're almost 100% of the time talking about business. They'll talk about mm -hmm. risks. If you're big enough to have a COO and a CRO and a CISO and CIO, you got C's coming out the woodwork, you can have different level conversations. It's probably really good if you're big enough to have a CRO and a COO and a CISO to have those three meeting on a regular basis because the risk side of the house comes in and says, hey, this is risky. Information security says, yep, this is a known risk. There's exploits in the wild being used against companies our size, bigger than us, smaller than us in different parts of the world. This is real. And the CEO is saying, I don't think it's that big a risk. Mm, thinking it's not a big risk isn't a good plan for the business. We need to know right. whether or not it's a big risk or not. So let's find the information. We'll get some information. And me and the chief risk officer can go get information, bring it back to the CEO and say, hey, here's the statistics right? It's a real risk. We need to rethink this. Now, yeah. we might be able to mitigate it. So the coming back to the CEO says, we found out it's a pretty big risk, but we also found out that we have these layers of security and these assessments that risk does on a regular basis. We feel like we can live with this level of risk. We can manage it. Sure. There's always a tolerance. And then the COO is happy. He's been delayed a little bit, but at the end of the day, he's like, he doesn't have to fight the chief risk officer and the CISO to go to the CEO and say, hey, I want to do this, even though risk right. says it's bad, information security says it's bad. He's already right. got us on his side, and he's that's a huge win at that point. So I do think those business relationships at the C-level have to mature, and I do think the CISO has to be involved. And reporting to the CIO, I think, limits his ability, his or her ability to define his role and his value to the company. Yeah, I get that. I absolutely get that. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E.
We've talked about who you report into. We've talked a little bit about these business dialogues, how some of these bridges in and out of that CISO role. The next one is the peers. And by the peers, I mean, let's say most organizations, the CISO is either a VP or an SVP. And I guess these days you still find a few senior directors, CISOs, but I think that's much more rare now in smaller orgs. I agree. So we're talking about VPs and SVPs and around the organization, right. not EVPs probably and not the rest of the C-suite. It depends. There's a lot of EVP CISOs out there now, especially in the financial oh, that's, Yeah, district. that's true. That's true. So we'll even go to there. So now that's the defined rank of the CISO, if you will, as part of our honing in on what the role is. So now we have a rank we can speak to. But that means you've got peers all over the business of that same rank who are all representing completely different interests, marketing, sales, the whole bit, general counsel. Help me understand some of those bridges and some of those ins and outs that help sort of shape that circle that the CISO is in. You're 100% correct. And from my perspective, I always came to the table from the viewpoint of the more relationships that I can establish with my peers, regardless of what area they're in, the better off and easier my job is going to be long term. Having a relationship with a VP who may have a kid in high school, they're worried what they're doing on the internet. Hey, I can come to him with some solutions on how he can help his personal family or maybe his elderly parents who might get scammed. So you come to that person with some solutions, real world mm -hmm. solutions that they may be thinking about at the same time that you're pushing your agenda of cyber awareness. Because cyber awareness is probably one of the most important areas in an information security program as far as getting out in front of potential threats. The better educated your employees are, and I don't care if it's 300 employees or 7,000 employees or 250,000 employees, it doesn't matter. The more well-trained they are about cyber and risks and what they do with their computer and their data, man, it just makes your life that much better down the road. It may take a year, 18 months for it to really start to kick in. But man, I could see when I did cybersecurity awareness training for like day one, people coming on board day one and talked about it. And I would always try to relate it to, hey, where do you live? Do you have a front door? Wherever you live, whether it's an apartment, your house, even if it's your parents' house, kid fresh out of college, your first job, you might still be living at home. Okay, your parents still have a front door. Why do they have a front door on the house? Because they don't want the rain, the snow, the wind, the leaves, the bugs coming in the house. They also don't want some strangers just randomly walking in their house and stealing something or trying to hurt them. It's that first layer of defense. So think of yeah. day one, this is your first layer of defense for this new company that you now work for. You're going to have yeah. access to data. I want you to take that seriously, and I want you to be as, as careful as you possibly can be and then I always ended up with, if you ever got a question, here is the CISO email. You email this, somebody mm -hmm. on my security program, it may be me, it may be an analyst, but somebody's going to respond to you and get back to you within 24 hours. And I would always kind of force that commitment. We're going to get back to you in 24 hours. <laughs> I found out very quickly, it's easy to say 24 hours, Sure. And man, when you get a flood of emails and all of a sudden you're in the middle of an incident and you're trying yeah. to deal with, and it's like, ah, crap, okay, I got to delegate. Got to delegate. I can't answer right, that right, one. Right. I'd love to answer that one. No, let someone else right. answer it. So it's a challenge, but it's yeah. extremely important. 
It is. And I'll tell you this, when I was in the unified communication space as a CISO years ago at a different company, I actually coordinated with HR. You're going to love this. Okay. The new employee onboarding orientation sessions yeah. where they had six or seven hires from all over the company, different locations and whatever. And they'd say, okay, we're all going to go to orientation at the same time because we all got hired within a few days of each other. And it would be just a random sample. Who knows who these employees were, what level, what rank, what site, what anything. I had a division. Who knows? It was just a random shotgun blast of a handful of employees. I would personally, as the CISO, spend 30 minutes in every one of those orientation sessions, welcoming them, starting their journey on cybersecurity awareness, letting them know I was available, giving them my info, and letting them contact me. Literally from day one, they walked in the door. As CISO, I would do that. And CISO peers that were like, you're crazy, giving out your contact info to who knows who. No, you were and dead I was like, all nope. right. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly the way I want to do it. Yeah. This is exactly what, and it's amazing how many of those new hires became my champions. Yes. And that was the thing I was about to bring up. When you do that to a brand new employee, right? And you might be an SVP or VP and this person is they're brand new, fresh out of college. And now they feel like they've got a VP that's their friend. And so right. you never know who that next security champion is going to be that is going to just save the day. One organization, I had that same exact scenario play out. And the gentleman came to me and made me aware of something that put the entire company at risk. There was a router that had been installed on some third-party vendor servers so that the vendor could manage those servers better. And I was like, what? They did what? We installed this? Who allowed this? And it was just this rainfall of errors from security guard to the power people to the network people. No one really stopped and said, hey, why are we doing this? Right, right. Why are we allowing this? And this guy just happened to walk by. He sees this router attached to a server. He's like, I think that's like the HVAC server. Why is that? Right. Man, it just, it blew up from there. But that was one of those people that I met day one. He just happened yeah. to be looking because right. I'd tell right. him, hey, if you see something squirrely, let me know about it. I'll let you know. Hey, it's not a big deal. Thanks for letting me know. But if it was something good, then man, I'd give him a Starbucks gift card or some other Lowe's gift card, whatever I could think of from a gift card standpoint to reward mm -hmm. them. Something to recognize and reward. Even if it was nothing, it was worth the communication to get out in, in front of a potential issue. This particular yep. thing could have saved the entire company from a horribly embarrassing breach down the road. We never would know. But the bottom line is we got in front of it, solved the problem before it was a real problem. So there you go. Build those champions. Build that champion network into your company. That's the life lesson there for all CISOs. <laughs> it is more than we want to admit, I think. Yeah. Let's move on to the next outside the circle. Let's talk about the board of directors. Ugh. The CISO in front of the board. Boy, there's some boundary definition stuff going on there. There's some bridging across the line of the circle there. How yeah. does the board help shape and influence what the CISO is and isn't? They do more than they realize, I think, for a lot of organizations. A weak CISO may present the wrong information to the board. But if you have a weak board who doesn't really understand cybersecurity, they may not know that that's useless information or yeah. information that is really more for the CISO himself than for the board of directors. I think, personally, CISOs struggle a lot with their presentations to the board of directors because they don't really know 
what information the board wants and the board won't ask them questions. And because the, unfortunately for some boards, people are embarrassed to admit they don't know something. And so they right. don't want to ask the question and sound ignorant. I always tried when I did my board presentation, I always tried to come in very apologetic to them and say, I don't want you to feel like I'm talking down to you, but because I don't know you, most of you that well yet, I don't know what your level of cyber maturity is or understanding of threats. So I'm going to talk really at a low level, these first couple of meetings, and then we're going to build from there based on experience. And coming in with that kind of humble attitude, I think I won over more boards than if I had to come in with that arrogant, I'm the CISO chip on my shoulder. I know everything about cybersecurity. For all I know, there could be another CISO sitting on the board, somebody right. better than me. So coming in there with an arrogant chip on your shoulder, you might get embarrassed really bad, really quick. And so unfortunately, I have seen and worked for some CISOs. They got eaten alive by the board. They would ask them questions and they didn't have the answer. It was painful for me just being there as the support person. Perimeter of the yeah, room watching I, you your know, CISO I'm go not down even in at flames. The table. I'm kind of behind the CISO and I'm hearing the answers. I'm just like watching the fighter plane crash into the ocean. Right, right. It's like a train wreck, watching a train wreck happen. You can't do anything about it. And if I say something, it's probably more embarrassing for the CISO. And it's like, oh, right. God. All you can do is hold your tongue and, and then debrief write down. later. Right? <laughs> yeah, I took a lot of notes and came back right. to the CISO and said, so this is probably how we should have handled this. This is good. So we talked about attitude. We talked about knowledge base. And I love your recommendation for overcoming that that possible knowledge gap. All right. So let's bring this all back home. So we've talked about what the CISO isn't. We've talked about the CISO's relationship to whom he or she reports. We've talked about relationships with peers. We've even talked about the board of directors. So now here's our chance to solidify all that and say, here's what the heck the role of the CISO actually is and should be. So I'll let you go first. Give it to me. Okay. There's a lot of different responsibilities that CISO could have, but I'm going to say the role is cybersecurity leadership, and they should be responsible mm -hmm. for establishing the right security and governance type practices and a framework, if that helps, to scale the business and enable it to grow at the pace that it wants to grow safely. We're back to the effective brakes actually are designed for fast cars, right? The faster the car, the better the brakes need to be. Absolutely. You look at those high-end cars, they have some of the best braking systems in the world. Exactly. Okay, so get the business there safely and effectively. I love that. And that, to me, is all about that business objective alignment. Mm -hmm. And that's all about that challenge of, as the CISO, trying to figure out, okay, I know I've got this security thing I need done, and I know the business is over here trying to get this thing done, and i got to figure out a way to bridge these two phenomena. i got to demonstrate that what I'm trying to do from a security perspective is aligned to business. And I think sometimes we start exactly that way, where we already have a security project in hand, and then we're also looking at what the business is up to and we're trying to mash them up. And this is not the same thing as saying, here's what the business is trying to do. What kind of security can I build around that and build for it? Sometimes we have our own needs that arise internally. And this is where that whole, you mentioned before, you have to have that cybersecurity expertise. And this is a real nuanced thing I'm talking about here because having your team come to you and say, we've got a major risk of this sort over here in this area and we feel like we need to deploy this kind of technology solution to solve this kind of a problem. These are the kinds of conversations you're having internally with your team. You've got a CEO who has just declared we're going to enter the European market. We're going to decrease time of sale by X percent and we're going to increase <laughs> revenue and profits by Y percent. And you've got all these high-level business objectives that have just been handed down. And you've now got the challenge of figuring out, okay, my team is right. There's a risk over here. 
and my team is probably already pretty right on what the solution to fix that risk is. How the heck am I going to mash that up with what I just heard from the CEO? And that to me is the real job of the CISO right there. Oh, absolutely. What if you have to give the CEO some feedback he doesn't really want to hear? Yep. That you're going to have to delay the rollout. Your example right there, we're going to expand into the European market. We're going to reduce our time to market, whatever it is. Whether you're selling pencils or loans, doesn't matter what it is. Now, me as a CISO, the first thing I'm coming into is saying, ooh, we now have to comply with GDPR. Do I have anybody in my entire team that is a GDPR expert? Okay, this person has some background. Ooh, this one. So you're going through your list of all your employees. Mm -hmm. Okay, who's my number one guy for compliance and GDPR? Who's going to know GDPR? Oh, wait, legal. Legal probably got a good resource. I need to reach out to legal. And then you're reaching out to uh, HR. And so it's bouncing around to you. Sorry, I pulled my earbud out. It's bouncing around to you. Who's going to be your go-to person? And it usually ends up being a team. And it's not always your people. It's going to be people from different areas. That's where those business relationships come into play and help you get out in front of the potential bad news. I got to share with the CEO and say, hey, I think we need to wait 30 more days, but here's why. And here's the plan we have in place to get us there in the next 30 days. If you come to the CEO with that, I would hope most CEOs are going to be like, I hadn't considered that. Great. Let's move forward with it. Or what do you need support wise? That's the kind of conversation you want to be able to have with your CEO, not, hey, boss, I don't think we can do that. You know, right, right here, right. I don't think we can do that. That's the last right. thing he this wants guy to hear is from his senior information security executive that he doesn't think we can do that. I get back to me with yes or no. And if it's no, I better have a great answer for why it's no. And it needs to be a no, but. <laughs> yeah, it's always a no, but. It doesn't matter how much you're good at saying no, it always ends up becoming a no, but. So you might as well just plan for that part to to begin with there. All right. This has been a great conversation, Matthew. I got one last question for you. This is the question I ask every guest on the show. Sure. If you could wave a magic wand and change any one thing about cybersecurity, people, process, technology, the ecosystem, the business of it, anything, what would you change? I'm glad you kind of sent me for everyone that's worried about being on your podcast Alan did a great job, sent me the questions ahead of time that he was thinking of and to get feedback from me on the questions and potential different ones. So I did have time to think about this one. And this is the one I probably spent agonized over the most because there's a lot of things I would like to. But when you say magic wand, is this is the one poof thing that you could do that could really have an impact in cybersecurity. And for me, I really think it would be Go back in time, whether it is five, 10 years, doesn't matter what it is, and begin an education program in our middle school kids and high school kids, teaching them about cybersecurity and teaching them about the benefits, potential job, future, but just about staying safe with data because they all become employees at some point down the road. And if Mm -hmm. you can teach a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old the importance of keeping their data safe, whatever their data is, might be their favorite song list, might be their pictures from their birthday, their favorite homework they did or article they wrote or video of them skateboarding, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's whatever's important to them. 
that's that data. And if you can drive that home about keeping that safe, that's the employee I want to hire 10 years from now because they've already been doing 10 years keeping data that's important to them safe. And now I've got them 10 years into keeping data safe. They might be up on the latest hacks and attacks and threats and vulnerabilities out there. They might be better qualified than the kid I'm hiring from another company that's got five years of experience because he's just now focused on data loss prevention, which I know is your favorite topic to talk (laughs) about in my head. It's that jump on information security awareness. That would be the biggest I love that. I love that. Using the magic wand to time travel. That's the best answer I think I've gotten yet on that question. Oh, good. I love it. I spent enough time thinking about it. (laughs) I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the thought you put in. This has been a really good conversation, Matthew. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Alan.